This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode is being recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our second edition of the Minat Talks podcast series. We will be featuring a variety of different topics and market developments that are currently trending in the Minat region. In our second podcast, we will be discussing the economic outlook and investment landscape of the Minat region with Brian Gardens, recently appointed as regional head of Asia Pacific and Minat Security Services, and Stuart Warner, head of direct custody and clearing product for Europe, Minat, and the Americas. Stuart. Over to you. Thank you, Gabriella. Brian, thank you for joining us today. And firstly, many congratulations on your appointment as regional head for both Asia Pacific and for MENAC. Can I start by asking you to share a bit about yourself, please? Sure, Stuart, and thank you very much. And a real pleasure and honour to be given the opportunity to work even more closely with the MENAT region. I'm thoroughly enjoying it already, to be honest. I will give you the whirlwind tour uh, about myself in one minute. So I've had the pleasure of working for HSBC for 5,057 days, including today, which equates to roughly 14 years in September. Nine of those years in market operations across a number of roles, and now almost five years in our securities services business. On 2nd of January 2019, I landed in Hong Kong to start the role as regional head of security services for Asia Pacific, and I have loved every minute of it. I've personally actually learned so much from the 17 countries and territories, and actually Personally, I feel I've grown a lot during that time and feel very lucky to have worked with so many amazing people and cultures, and that now extends to MENAT. Probably one sentiment I'll share with you, a very personal one, that the toughest thing about being in Asia is actually being away from my daughters. I have two grown-up daughters, 27 and 24 years old. Similar to everybody around the world, COVID has been really challenging and at times quite emotional, and I miss them a lot. It's been 19 months since I've seen them. And a lot has happened in that time to both of them. So it is actually quite tough. In the meantime, I do miss travel desperately as it's one of my greatest pleasures to see new places and embrace new experiences. And hopefully I can correct that soon. Thank you. So you're already leading the security services business for Asia Pacific. And now with MENAP also coming under your leadership, What is the outlook of the MENAP region and how does it compare to Asia? Are there any similarities? So it's a great question, Stuart, and something that even having only worn the MENAT shoes for, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks is a question that does get asked a lot. I'll probably tackle that from a a small handful of different aspects. If, If I start by looking at the IMF Regional Economic Outlook Report, you will notice that the outlook for the Middle East and Central Asia actually does vary significantly across those countries. And depending on the pandemic's path, vaccine rollouts, underlying fragilities, exposure to tourism and contact in intensive sectors, 
the policy arena and related actions, you throw those all together and there's a really interesting mix of drivers. Now, 2021 will definitely be the year of policies that continue saving lives and livelihoods and promote recovery. That's the real focus. Whilst trying to balance that with the need for debt sustainability and financial resilience, and we use resilience, that word a lot, at the same time, policymakers must not lose sight of the transformational challenges to build forward better and accelerate the creation of, if you like, a more inclusive, resilient, sustainable, as well as green economies. If we look at those Middle East countries or in economies, they were severely impacted by the drop in oil prices since 2016. However, since then, Effective governments and effective government reforms and their measures were implemented over the past years. And that has really seen the region enjoying a, a pretty good economic recovery, a recovery, if you like, a resurgence that has been made possible by a combination of factors such as higher oil prices, rising government spending, along with constructive market reform initiatives. Now, a number of those MENAT countries in particular in the GCC implemented wide ranging reforms to diversify their domestic economies and improve longer term capital flows by encouraging foreign and institutional investors to increase their portfolio exposures to the local markets. Now, most notably in Saudi, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, the reforms have prompted major index providers to incorporate them into their benchmarks. And that'll be a theme as we go through this conversation. The outlook for Saudi Arabia is optimistic. And that came through the, which did, which did sort of come through the 2020 downturn more smoothly than anticipated. So a good effort by Saudi Arabia and where the structural reform drive has the greatest substance and momentum. Oil production cuts that keep headline growth low mask, if you like, a more rapid rebound in the non-oil economy, which moved above pre-COVID levels of output in the first weeks of this year. The prospects for Qatar also look promising, which returned to fiscal surplus first among the oil states, and we'll see activity trend higher, boosted by the Football World Cup that starts in November 2022. The prospects for Egypt are similar, uh, with real interest rates remaining high and fiscal policy tight, keeping inflation at target and putting the budget deficit and public debt on a downward path. In the UAE, the normalization of domestic demand appears to be well underway, but with the export of services such a critical part of the growth mix, gains will be capped until international travel and tourism decisively turn or return. For Kuwait, Bahrain and Oman, the pickup in oil prices has brought timely relief from large double digit twin deficits that posed a threat to fiscal and monetary stability last year. But in each case of those countries, the imbalances remain large and the build up in debt last year was heavy. Now that necessitates further growth sapping consolidation in the years ahead, if the economies are to withstand any fresh oil price shocks that may come to fruition. Maybe one more point to, uh, to bring this piece to a close, Stuart. The economic recovery across Asia 
has been decidedly uneven in recent months. Where the virus remained well contained, local demand continued to improve. Others, however, stumbled as surging infections brought activity to a halt. The coming months do offer a reprieve after a slow start. The pace of vaccination does look like it is to accelerate sharply. This is similar to the situation in the MENAT region, though I would like to mention that the high vaccination levels across much of the Middle East, with near full lifting of restrictions on domestic activity, is supporting a surge in domestic spending. Encouraging progress can be seen structural reforms in parts of the Middle East, particularly in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, where policy efforts to accelerate the development of the non-oil sector are building significant momentum. And maybe I'll pause there. That's great. Thank you, Brian. And a, a huge amount of information there to consume. Clearly significant impacts on the financial markets and the economy from the regional government policies. As we move towards the security services landscape, what do you see as the opportunities for investors in MENAT? How is the region shaping up to attract more international investors? Uh, thanks, Stuart. And, and I guess the pace of reforms in the MENAT region has been really impressive over the last few years. And we've not just witnessed several milestone events, but a few of them were of great significance and definitely worthy of a mention. If I go back to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia was the only sizable market and the only G20 nation which had, which had remained outside a mainstream index and had the distinction of having the fastest such ascension into the index. With this inclusion, Saudi Arabia became the ninth largest emerging market in the Emerging Market Index, with a local stock exchange, Tadawal, ranking in the top 10 exchanges globally based on market capitalization. Now, following a series of reforms undertaken through the ambitious Kuwait Market Development Program, last November saw the Kuwait indices being successfully added to the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. Countries like UAE and Qatar that achieved emerging market status in 2014 now have ambitions to attain developed market status. Bahrain and Oman, on the other hand, are also aspiring to achieve emerging market status and have plans to introduce DVP in the near future. The regional market's ambition is to be at par with international standards and technological investment. And that is sitting at the core of the region's infrastructure strategy. There are several transformation programs and project enhancements underway to further develop the local market infrastructure. And that will help improve investor asset protection, reduce operational and systemic risks in the market, as well as introduce new products and services. The recent entry of ICSDs, so International Central Securities Depositories, into the region is a real testament to the developments the region has made to match international standards and also attract more foreign investors. So with all of those uh, enhancements and changes from the local market infrastructure and within the local markets, what kind of demand do you see from Asia and other international investors wanting to enter in, into MENAT? Okay, so, so, so most institutional investors adopt what we would call value-added strategies that involve a repositioning 
as well as a repurposing of assets in order to yield additional value from investment activity. More investors are now seriously considering ESG sustainability factors when making important decisions. It would be impossible to go through this conversation with you, Stuart, without mentioning ESG and sustainability. All this translates to a broader availability of investment products and also opportunities for investors. And from an investor perspective, when it comes to local investment products, the products available in MENA need to be more diversified to match some of the product offerings available to investors in other emerging markets. While equity and fixed income products exist along with a few country ETFs, this needs to have greater size and liquidity. So futures and options is yet to evolve along with, significant, with the need for significant ETF activity. You could argue this could be attributed to the relative latency of the market and maybe the lack of invest infrastructure investments. There has been significant improvement with the MSCI inclusion. And if you take, for instance, the securities lending process, which used to be very cumbersome, there's now much easier following amendments to regulations and the introduction of an omnibus account structure in some markets. Globally, securities lending and borrowing market is growing rapidly from about 8 trillion US dollars in assets in 2008 to 30 trillion US dollars from an inclusion perspective. That's an incredible growth. It's enormous revenue potential and it makes it a lucrative product option for investors who are moving further east from the US centric portfolios that have existed in the past. And in Saudi Arabia, a lot of active interest is visible as MSCI inclusion has led to a surge in foreign ownership and the demand is clearly also very strong. The enabling regulatory framework and market products are maturing in this direction as it is the availability of an active short selling market and derivatives market to investors which will enhance liquidity and also price discovery. Maybe one more point on that, that the potential to grow in the region is strong. And I've already alluded to the fact that infrastructure development is critical for all of these initiatives. There is a perception around a shortfall in activity in the MENA markets in general, as opposed to some of the other emerging markets, due to lack of the exponential growth that is seen in thematic and long short strategies. The markets in the region are already making infrastructure and technology investments to facilitate much greater participation in more broad emerging market basket and portfolio trading. Central clearing is deemed essential to enable greater use of derivatives and the ability to settle and clear, whilst also eliminating some existing challenges for foreign investors, such as the dual account structures, transferring shares, pre-validation, and inability to use omnibus accounts, amongst other. Thank you. And you've outlined their sort of view of the investors. How do you see the region responding to these demands? 
Yeah, clear, clearly the region is going to be under the under the microscope. So, so it's a good question, and one I'll probably spend a few minutes running through some context. There have been some interesting infrastructure changes that have accelerated the progress towards emerging market index inclusion with most of the GCC markets now classified as emerging markets. Now, some markets like Qatar, Saudi Arabia and the UAE already working on their ambition to attain developed market status. Again, I alluded to that earlier. However, index inclusion is just one way of attracting foreign investors to the local and regional capital markets as they renew their relentless pursuit of new product development initiatives. So let me touch upon some of those key market-led initiatives that are underway in the region. An operational framework in Saudi Arabia is in the works for cross-listing on a regional basis of securities listed elsewhere, as also is the launch of new ETFs, which could result in the development of more active ETFs, such as gold ETFs, commodity ETF, and a fixed income ETF. In Qatar, Qatar is looking at introducing commodity ETFs to market along with two real estate products this year. And further ahead, a derivatives market will be introduced before the 2022 World Cup. Other regional initiatives include a simplified short selling framework along with trading to attract institutional investors and passive investments. We do recognize these investors need the ability to trade large, large blocks at the last trading price of the day. And another initiative focused on moving away from pre-validations through the introduction of a clearinghouse to enhance the post-trade system completely. Back to Saudi Arabia. Now, the post-trade transformation program, the PTTP, is a major transformation project that is making changes to the post-trade infrastructure. These include upgrades of the CSD, the Central Securities Depository Systems and Processes, introduction of a central counterparty and new trading instruments, while following best international practices and reducing systemic risk and enhancing market efficiency. That transformation program will enhance investors' experience throughout the trade lifecycle, and it will do that by implementing new features such as post-trade management, novation settlement, multiple intraday settlement batches, ISO messaging, and further aligning to best international risk, risk management practices and standards. That is a hefty and challenging program of work and promises some great outcomes for all parties involved. A couple more examples. Let's start with Kuwait. Now, Kuwait's multi-phase market development program has seen many benefits being delivered to investors with new products for investors made available through the introduction of stock lending and borrowing, short selling, and the introduction of real estate investment trusts or REITs, as well as mutual funds. In the UAE, the securities regulator, the SCA, have enabled new product offerings to be introduced. They've enhanced the regulatory framework and improved transparency and governance in the UAE markets, including the introduction of a central counterparty. The SCA also approved regulations to allow investor numbers for the same investor, which enables investors to segregate their assets, especially for multiple fund managers that manage large sovereign portfolios. Last, last piece of the puzzle, in Qatar, the CSD has initiated a project to replace the existing operating system. 
which could present opportunities for newer products and services. Similarly, there is also a shift towards a T plus two settlement cycle. And in Bahrain, we expect the launch of a DVP model, along with a trade rejection facility that will help mitigate counterparty risk for investors. Whilst in Egypt, a new CSD for government debt securities, predominantly treasury bills and government bonds, is being established through their partnership with Euroclear. That is a lot of stuff going on and a lot of tangible things being worked on across the markets to respond to these demands. Thanks, Brian. And yet clearly, as you say, a huge amount of infrastructure change, keeping our teams busy, but also benefiting the international investor community. One final question, if I may. We, we couldn't do a podcast like this without focusing on the hot topic of technology and innovation. So what digital and data trends are you seeing in the security services space? And how do you see the MENAT region in particular responding? You're, you're right, Stuart. We, we can't not touch on this subject. And it is a subject and topic that I will talk about daily in the meeting, in a meeting or meetings throughout the day. And it is becoming embedded in a lot of conversation. So it's not just a, a separate topic. It is now absolutely becoming part of our DNA as to how we think about our securities services business. Now, as countries globally progress, their data along with their digital connectivity has become more important than ever for governments and businesses to ensure continuity of economic and social activities with social distancing and near complete lockdown across the world. Now, innovation in the security services arena is evolving rapidly as organizations absolutely look for greater operational efficiency through increased automation, through new services, and also better risk management. We do recognize that clients are also under tremendous cost pressures as investors seek better financial performance and savings, which in turn has accelerated the need for organizations to further accelerate its digital innovation agenda. For example, the acceptance of electronic signatures and electronic documentation to open investor accounts, though temporary in some cases is much welcomed and we are working with the local market authorities to explore if these can be made permanent. We see that in Asia as well as MENA. Evolving and changing habits of today and yesterday for the benefit of tomorrow and the day after is absolutely key. I've personally moved from the ways of working mindset to the ways of thinking mindset. And it's time for me and the industry to evolve and to evolve at pace. The, the SCA in the UAE issued regulations concerning the offering, issuing, listing, and trading of crypto assets in the UAE covering token issuance requirements to trading and safekeeping practices. The Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority and the Central Bank of the United Arab Emirates led an innovative driven initiative seeking to explore whether DLT, distributed ledger technology, could enable cross-border payments using a new dual-listed digital currency as a unit of settlement between commercial banks in the two countries and domestically. This could not only provide the basis for a backup to domestic and regional RTGS, real-time gross settlement, but could expand as a means of settlement for other forms of transactions, including the sale of bonds or other dematerialized assets. Now, lastly, the, the Dubai economy went live with a UAE KYC blockchain platform 
making possible instant bank accounting functionality, secure digital customer onboarding, and sharing of verified data between financial institutions and licensing authorities. HSBC has gone live on this platform, becoming the fourth founding member and actually the first overseas institution to do so. Now, part of the strategic focus of Dubai economy is on enhancing ease of business in Dubai and supporting the smart transformation of the Emirates economy. The KYC blockchain consortium will facilitate a faster, more secure onboarding and exchange of digital customer data and documents through advanced blockchain powered distributed technologies, a first of its kind in the region and clearly will be very, very impactful. Thanks, Brian. Clearly you know, a huge amount going on in the region. We'll follow those developments with interest and keep our clients updated on them. Uh, as always, if clients do have questions, please do reach out to your client managers or the local client service teams who will be more than happy to assist, provide further information and colour on some of the topics which we've touched on today. So, Brian, thank you very much for joining us and giving us that great insight. And Gabriella, I'll hand back over to you. Thanks so much, Brian and Stuart. And I could not agree more with Stuart that there's a lot going on in the MENET region. I would like to thank you for listening to our second edition of the MENET Talks. We hope that you enjoyed learning about the latest trends and developments in the MENET region. Stay tuned for more from MENET as we continue to explore more trends in the coming months. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you've heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.